Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeRandall.com slash fitathlete to learn more and sign up this week. On this episode of the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, I am joined by Claire Ardern. Claire is the editor-in-chief of JOSPT, or the Journal of Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapy. In this episode, she's going to share some exciting new things that JOSPT has been working on that I know you're going to love. Plus, we're going to take a peek behind the scenes of the editorial process of the journal, talk about her role as editor-in-chief, and she's even going to share some valuable advice for prospective authors on how to write the best manuscripts to increase your chances of publication. Welcome to the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Reinold from MikeReinold.com. Hey, Claire, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure to join you and have the chance to chat with your listeners today. Thank you so much for 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 being here. Um, I mean, editor-in-chief of JOSBT, that's that's a big job. Uh, why don't we start with 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 a little bit about your path how did you how how does one become the editor in chief of JOSPT? i mean it's such a uh, a well known and prestigious journal um i mean that that that's a really impressive position for you to be in tell us a little bit about how you got there thanks mike it's definitely a privilege to have this role and it's a privilege because i get to meet so many fantastic people through this job and i get to see the cutting edge of research i think my career got a bit fast tracked to editor in chief because I met a wonderful friend and mentor, Professor Karam Khan, who many folks will know from his BJSM editor in chief days. And I had the really good fortune of working with Karam on the, on BJSM for a number of years between 2015 and 2018. So I got to know the inside workings of a journal. And one of Karam's superpowers is that he's such a champion for young clinicians young researchers and particularly women. So I feel very fortunate to have made that connection with him, have had to have had the chance to work with him. And he's been a very, very important mentor for me, learning how learning the ropes of editing a journal. And then he was also a really big um, encourager behind me saying, yes, you should apply for the JOSPT job when that job came up. So that's kind of the backstory, actually. It's a lot of sort of behind the scenes, learning how journals work and and getting to know the ropes. Yeah, I mean, you have to have some experience with that. And I will say, I mean, very obvious, I think a lot of people were excited when you joined JOSVT because we we saw how BJSM really, really improved over the years and became such a valuable journal that I think we all love reading now. Not as much as JOSVT, of course, but uh, but <laughs> but but um, but I think we saw that. So it's, it, it was really nice to see you uh, come over from BJSM. You guys did a great job over there, too. Thanks, Mike. And like all of these things, the cliche is to say it's a team effort and, you know, the, the champion team. What's the, what's the cliche? It's a team of champions, not a, no, it's a champion team, not a team of champions. (laughs) It was very much a a champion team at, at BJSM and now at JOSPT. And I think that's one of the things I've learned over the years is that like, like all of the folks listening today, you all know this from working in sports, whether it's working in a team environment in sports, whether it's working within your team in the clinic, that it's, it's all about working together, learning from each other and you're better together. We're stronger together than we are individually. So that's very much my sort of default mode for JOSPT and what I brought with me from BJSM is that having the right people in the right 
spots within the journal is crucial to making everything function. That's amazing. And you can see it. You can see the success. And uh, there's there's so much that I think JOXPT has grown over the years and it continues to keep growing. Um, what do you think some of your your favorite or bigger accomplishments that you guys have made at JOXPT um, since you've taken over? Like, what are some of the things that you're most proud of? I think the most visible thing that's not the journal itself. So I think let's let's park the journal and the research and the the products that people know and love and have done for the last 40 odd years that JOSPT's been in, in existence. The second most visible thing perhaps behind the journal is the podcast, JOSPT Insights. And you've been a guest on the podcast now twice. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm really proud of the, of, we, we got a lot of feedback from the community that people wanted a podcast. They wanted, they wanted a different way of consuming research and consuming information. And I'm really proud of the work that we've put into the podcast. I, I constantly get feedback from people saying that they like listening to it, that they've used it in their classes, which is really kind of gratifying. And it's, it's a, a privilege every week we get to chat with interesting people about different research that they've done or talking about how they've applied research in their clinical practice. So we're unashamedly focused on helping clinicians, you know, folks listening to us today out there in day-to-day clinical practice, figure out how is it that I take the stuff that's written on the journal page or printed on the journal page and and actually implement it in my day-to-day practice. Which is pretty cool. And I think if you listen to this podcast, you you probably listen to the JOSPT Insight Podcast. If you don't, you need to. That's very, really important. But um, I, there's a lot I, of know, overlap in that Venn diagram. <laughs> I, I, I would, I would imagine. Um, you, you know, I, I, I think people sometimes don't understand how much effort it takes. So kudos to you for doing that. There's a lot of work. Even just getting two people's schedules together are very challenging. Although you and I nailed it this week, by the way, we just happened to stumble across a time slot but <laughs> um, i think that's i think that's the lot of podcast hosts right we're both pod- podcast hosts so it's like you just make yourself available so i'm available <laughs> yeah i need but, half an hour that's all i've got that's fine <laughs> I, you know i i always tell everybody too when i started my website which was about 15 years ago now i 100 did it for me and i'm still doing this for me this is i'm growing each time i get to sit down and talk to you I'm growing so much more knowledgeable myself. And if people get to enjoy it with me because we record it and share it with them, great. But like me writing an article and me doing a podcast there, it, it's a learning experience for me. And it's been so rewarding to be able to just connect with people like yourself and to just chit chat like this. I mean, you know, you're, you know, we said this a little bit before we started recording, but believe it or not, guys, Claire's a real person, right? She's, she's a real human. She's pretty cool in real life, by the way. I mean, you know, but like, you know, as the editor in chief of JSBT, sometimes you just see your name behind a wall and you don't realize that she's a pretty smart person that has a lot to share too. So, uh, but again, thank you. Thank you for, for, for doing the podcast and all you do because it is so rewarding to listen to it. Thanks, Mike. And I think it would be remiss of me if I didn't also mention a couple of other of the things that I'm really proud of that we're doing right now at JOSPT. One is that we've just launched a brand new journal called JOSPT Open. And I'd encourage folks to um, have a look at the journal. We've launched, there's an editorial in the March issue of JOSPT explaining what the new journal's about, what sort of content, when it's going to come online. We're, we're um, taking submissions for that journal right now. So I would encourage folks who have got some interesting research that they're thinking of of submitting to a journal to really consider JOSPT open. The JOSPT cases is um, the third journal that JOSPT publishes, which is it's sort of the name 
gives it the clues in the title, cases. <laughs> right. It's all about case <laughs> reports. So please have a look at cases. Um, the uh, Professor Chris Hughes is the editor of JOSPT Cases, and Chris does a wonderful job at bringing together the case and the learning points from the case. So again, it's all about how do we take the learning points from that clinical case and put it into our practice. And I guess the other the other interesting thing is the JOSPT blog, which is a great open source. It's kind of the town square for people to come in and share ideas. So I would encourage folks listening to us today, if you've got ideas, and I know you all do, think about writing them down and think about sending an 800-word blog post into the JOSPT blog and, and starting that conversation because chances are if you've been thinking about something, someone else in the community is also thinking about it and would love the chance to discuss those ideas with you. That, that's a great way of saying it and so welcoming too. And what, what I really like to see, what I'm seeing you guys build here behind the scenes at JOSPT is there's a lot of different avenues for people to get involved now right? You don't need to just work at like an epic clinical research center, right? Which, which is challenging for a lot of people. Um, you can write some case studies. You can get those in JSPT cases. The, the JSPT open just opens up so much more uh, avenues for more research to get published um, that I, I just, I, I think it's going to be so helpful. But more importantly, right? And this is going a little bit off of what we said we were going to talk about, Claire, but like, there's so many bad journals nowadays and there's so many predatory journals out there. You know, knowing that JOSPT is going to stand behind this and you and your editorial team are going to make sure that these papers are quality, that means a lot to us, right? So, you know, we appreciate yeah. that. No, thank you. It's really important. And I'm glad that you talk about predatory journals because they are just growing and growing and growing. And anyone who's been affiliated with a with a research institution will probably get the tons and tons of emails from these predatory journals saying send me your paper on whatever random topic. So folks will will certainly have known about predatory journals and definitely JOSPT open and JOSPT cases all have the same high level of of peer review and editorial oversight as JOSPT the JOSPT that listeners know and love. So we're really committed to making sure that whatever is published in JOSPT whichever journal it is is really high quality. That's that's awesome. Um, tell us a little bit more about your role as editor-in-chief, because I don't think a lot of people understand exactly how much work you do and, and what you do in it. And I'd love to even hear a little bit about JSPT behind the scenes a little bit. Like, how many submissions do you guys get on average? What's your acceptance rate? Like, what's the process like for these submissions? I think people that are new to this process um, would really love to hear that coming straight from the editor-in-chief. I think that'd be amazing. Sure. Well, let me start with the submissions. We get about a thousand submissions, manuscript submissions per year, wow. and we can only publish between seven and nine percent of them. So, wow. so if if you're there thinking oh, I got a reject letter from the editor, she's a horrible person. Um, my sympathies. <laughs> I'm a researcher, and and as a researcher, I understand that you know getting rejected is a common thing, and it it's we all take it personally. So I do really understand. And we, as an editorial team, take those decisions really seriously. So we, we, we are really sort of focused on making JOSPT the best experience for you as an author, certainly as someone who's submitting your work to the journal. And we will try to work hard to think of other options and, and potentially make suggestions for you that if, if we don't think that this is a paper that, that can public, can, can live in JOSPT, it's not because it's bad research. I think that's the one, the one key message. If you take one thing away from this bit of the chat, 
please, as a researcher, particularly as an early career researcher, please uh, persist with your work. It can feel really horrible when you get the reject letter from the journal. But it's, it's not because your research is bad. It's because all journals have their particular niche that they've carved out and they've, they're all dealing with many more submissions than they have space to publish. And we all, as an editorial team, and I underscore team here because at JOSPT, it's a team making the decision. It's not one person, you know, with the the keys to the decision making apparatus. There's there's yeah. multiple people who are looking at a paper, who are just discussing the paper and discussing the merits and where it fits, and and in the priority list of papers, right? Because because we have so many submissions, we do have to make priorities. We're unashamedly prioritizing work that has immediate clinical impact. So if some if you're thinking about submitting your work to JOSPT, the inside kind of bit of information, I guess, is that when we as a senior editorial team, and there's five of us in that senior team, when we're considering papers, we're asking three really important questions. Number one, is it making an advance to the field? So is it the sort of heuristic is, is it new, which sometimes I think can mean, is it the first time that someone's ever thought about studying this before? That's not always the case, but really, is it making an advance on what we know? Is it true? So is, are the, the research methods robust? Are the, are you as a researcher choosing the right type of research for your research question? So if you're studying something about a treatment, have you chosen to, to use a randomized control trial, for example? And then the third bit is, is it going to change the decisions that clinicians and athletes or patients make in the in clinic in practice tomorrow. So we're really focused on immediate impact on clinical practice. And so if you can think about those three questions and you're, you, you feel comfortable and confident that your research is meeting those three questions, then please send it to JOSPT. We'd love to have a look at it. And, and if, you, if, you, if you haven't yet, rewind the last 30 seconds, 60 seconds here, because uh, she just gave you the blueprint, right? She just told you exactly. You can't get a better source too. And and don't feel bad. Over 90% of papers, nine out of 10 papers are going to get rejected. And I've had papers rejected too. I mean, it all, it happens. I disagreed with the comments at the time. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but we, we've all had papers rejected just because there's, there's just so much quality stuff out there. So, you know, keep it going. I, I think that's the best way to do it. Um, on that note, I think you just gave us a bit of the blueprint, but I'm going to flip it a little bit here. What are some of the things that you commonly see or, you know, like, what are the things that you see that sometimes maybe drive you crazy? What's your, the thing that you roll your eyes at the most when you say like, oh gosh, like, like, how do you help an author increase their chances of getting it accepted by avoiding doing something? What is it that you're seeing too much of? We'll be back after a quick break. I hope you're enjoying the podcast episode. If you want to learn more from me, please check out my website, MikeReinald.com. In addition to all my great articles, videos, and podcast episodes, I have a ton of online CEU courses, as well as my inner circle online mentorship and community. Be sure to subscribe to my free newsletter where I'm always sending you great info and exclusive perks and discounts. Just head to MikeReinald.com to get started. Thanks so much. I think the thing that frustrates me the most as a clinician and as a researcher is reading something, particularly a systematic review, and you probably listeners will know where this is going or have an inkling of where I'm going with this, 
you read the systematic review and the conclusion is we need more research. That's sort of the headline <laughs> thing. And right. my, and I'm a, a researcher who kind of specializes in synthesis, in systematic reviews, meta-analyses, clinical practice guidelines, all of this kind of, you know, trying to, trying to bring research together to try to make sense of it. But it really bugs me in clinical research when you think, well, if all that you can say is we need more research in a clinical journal, that's probably not a great a great conclusion. So I'm not suggesting you cl- change your conclusion. That's spin, and that also frustrates me and bugs me as a <laughs> right. as a, an editor as well. Don't <laughs> don't make something out of nothing. But if your conclusion is, hey, we actually have nothing in this field, then perhaps the field is not well developed enough for a systematic review, or it's a journal that's much more focused on research methods or something else about this field. It's not necessarily something that's going to resonate with the clinical audience. So I, I hope, and I'm pretty confident that if you're reading systematic reviews, at least published in JOSPT, you shouldn't find a headline conclusion that is simply, we need more research, because I will really push back on that sort of stuff. I'm really, really committed to having something strong, robust research that is meaningful, that's answering or trying to answer an important clinical question. Right. And and if you're doing those systematic reviews, then I would challenge you too, just as, as from my perspective, is maybe you need to narrow that down a little bit more, right? Because social media right now will take that and celebrate that as, oh, there's no evidence that this works, right? And I've literally seen papers, Claire, of course, not in JOSPT, but elsewhere, where it's, you know, does this manual therapy technique work for shoulder pain in people aged 18 to 75. And you're like, With a cherry on their head or something. It's unbelievable. And then you'll have yeah. people on social media say, well, see, this doesn't work. Well, it's not that it doesn't work. It's just so broad. And we're yeah. starting to see now systematic reviews of systematic reviews. Um, have we seen the first systematic review of systematic review of systematic reviews? Has that been published yet? I have seen them occasionally in the literature, <laughs> but not in JOSPT. <laughs> I think the other point that I'd make, Mike, is that it is really important. Research builds on itself, right? So I'm not, I, I, I really hope that people are not taking the message away that I'm saying you can't make comments about future research. Absolutely welcome those comments about future research. That's really important. And that's part of the reason why, why we do a systematic review and some of the conclusions that you draw. But I think my my point here is that if that's the sole conclusion, then I would think really hard about whether JOSPT is the right place for your systematic review. And again, it's likely that it's a very, very good systematic review. You've used strong methods. You've done a really good job. The, the issue is about finding the right journal to reach the audience to whom you're trying, you're intending this systematic review. So I, I hope I've done a reasonable job at outlining who the JOSPT audience is and that we're yes. very much focused on the clinician reader. And as an audience of JOSPT, I'm there. I agree with you. And those are the types of articles that we really appreciate that we gain from. And we always teach our students as we say, like, um, and what am I going to do different tomorrow based on this article? And, and right. that's the most impactful one. And there's a lot of times that an article doesn't change anything we do and that's okay too but it's 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 an interesting approach when you think of it that way so i applaud you for doing that so um amazing stuff before i let you go claire i like to end with what i call the high five it's kind of cheesy i need a better name but it's been a year now and i haven't found a better name but um five quick questions five quick answers to just get to know you a little bit more and how your brain works but one what are you currently working on for your own con ed? What are you doing for your professional development? 
Well, I'm hoping you'll allow me to share something that I just finished at the end of last year. We're early, still early-ish in 2023. So in at the very end of 2022, and actually the certificate just arrived a few days ago. So I'm hoping that counts, Mike. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I, finished, I finished an online course through Oxford University on women's leadership. And wow. it was the best six weeks of my life, really. It was amazing. I learned so much about things like how to negotiate, how to effectively mentor people. What's the difference between mentoring and coaching? It taught me about, it gave me some language around leadership and my leadership style and other styles that I'd seen others use and what might work well in a certain scenario and how to dial things up and dial things down and how to develop skills in mentoring and coaching. So it was phenomenal. And I would really commend that course to any of the women listening to us today. I love it. I love it. And as a father of two girls, I can't wait for them to take that course. That'd be amazing. So um, daughters are awesome. So um, um, what is one thing that you've recently changed your mind about? Um, I used to, I was so committed and so proud of my, I never thought I would relinquish my badge of honor as an all weather cyclist. (laughs) <laughs> I would ride outside in the rain, in the snow, in the hail, in the sunshine, in the 40, oh, 40 degrees Celsius, whatever that converts to, over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> I would do it. And I was so proud of my badge of honor, but I have recently set my bike up inside on an indoor trainer and become completely hooked on Zwift. And I love it. <laughs> That's actually interesting. Is that your thing? Or are you a big cyclist? I am since since my knee injury got to the point where I couldn't run anymore and that was really difficult and devastating as as many folks can understand. But yeah. cycling has, and Zwift particularly, has been a, a, a saviour for sure. Very neat, very neat. That was a great answer. I like that one. Um, what's your favourite piece of advice that you love to give young professionals? I like to let people know to take comfort that their career will progress and that it will grow. And I think it's often... Certainly, when I first started out my career, I would look to mentors and people who were giants in the field and think, oh my goodness, I'm never going to get there. I'm always going to feel like I'm stuck at this beginning position, like I don't know anything. And I guess it's a bit of that imposter syndrome. So I would like people to take heart that your career does evolve and grow and develop. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen with a bit of luck. And we certainly don't, unfortunately, live in a meritocracy. And some of us have more opportunities than others by dint of where we've grown up or, or the color of our skin or agenda. Um, so I'm not not um, discounting all of those things, but I think it is really important to remember that your career will grow and that when when you're starting out, it's normal to feel that sense of, am I really accepted here? Do I really have the skills and the expertise to belong here? And to be honest, I still feel like that went sometimes when I walk into certain places. So I don't know that that ever completely disappears, but I hope that people can learn to trust their that their knowledge and their skills and, and what they're bringing to the table is valued and important. That's amazing. Great one too. Um, what's coming up next for you and or JOSPT, but you in particular too? We are expanding the JOSPT editorial board from Whoa. 35 people to... I'm not going to say how many exactly, but we're expanding. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and I'm really, really looking forward to getting to know the new members and getting to work with them. We've got our big board meeting coming up next month, and it's always um, just such a joy to connect with the editorial board 
learn about the new things that are happening in their different fields and for all, all of us to work together to do our own, it's our own professional development as an editorial board and we take that really seriously. So so that's what I'm looking forward to on a personal level, just because it's such a privilege to connect with all of these different people from all around the world, from different backgrounds and on a professional and JOSPT level too. That's so cool. I love it. Um, well, how can we learn more about you? Obviously, it's jspt.org if you're interested in JSPT and all the great resources. But what about yourself too? Do you have any social medias or anywhere that you'd like to share so people can learn more about you and JSPT? I am on Twitter, Claire underscore Ardern at, on Twitter. I don't, I've actually deliberately made the the pullback from Twitter pre Elon Musk, pre all the craziness. Um, <laughs> yeah. Partly, partly because as a woman, and I want to acknowledge this for your audience as well. It is, it can feel quite difficult as, particularly as a woman. And I know many people have some horrible experiences on social media. So that was a conscious decision. I do tweet there occasionally, and certainly I tweet. It's it's research tweets. It's not personal stuff. So people can follow me on Twitter. I have a ResearchGate page for anybody who's looking for my research papers or not the papers, but the records as things are published and PubMed is the same. So anybody who's the kind of researcher geek listening out there will know all of those resources. That's great. That's and of fantastic. course, if you want to, if you, if you like listening to an Aussie accent, you can listen to me on JLSPT Insights. That's the only reason why I listen, to be honest with you. It's nothing to do with the guest, but yes, I agree. It's, 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 it's an added perk, which is, which is great. But, um, and I, I completely agree. I just said the other day to somebody at work that you're either a bully or getting bullied on Twitter. It's one of the two that's like, all oh, there is. So it's, uh, it's just turned into such a, such an interesting place. So, uh, I'm definitely on there less and less, unfortunately, but that's why I get to enjoy spending time with people like yourself in person, sort of through this podcast, through this video, we get to see each other and talk. And um, again, I am so appreciative of you taking out time to do this and to give back to uh, the audience. I think we've all learned a lot. So thanks again, Claire. Thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure to chat with you and to chat with the listeners today. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to me. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeRano.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And also be sure to search for my other podcast, The Ask Mike Reinald Show, where my team of physical therapists, strength coaches, and I answer your questions. See you on the next episode.